Gamble on, fellas. Gamble on. <laughs> Welcome again to Gamble On, the weekly gambling podcast presented by usbets.com. I'm Eric Raskin, US Bets Managing Editor and Media Director, and I'm joined by our senior analyst, Pulitzer Prize finalist, John Brennan, and the 2022 NFL season kicks off mm-hmm. tonight. This is the most exciting time on the sports betting calendar, and I'm about to commit the cardinal sin of podcasting, end of life, really. I'm going to tell you about my fantasy team. Uh. <laughs> well, okay. All right. Not, not really. I'm going to tell you about my new fantasy league. I won't bore you with the details of my team. Um, along with three old college friends, we've started a fantasy football league for ourselves and our kids. Plus we invited my brother to fill our final slot. So five adults, five kids in the 12 to 15 age range. We had our draft Tuesday night. And I now get to compete against my son, my brother, and various friends and their sons and daughters for bragging rights. <laughs> uh, and for money, uh, we decided to make it a $10 buy-in because if there's no money involved, people won't try hard enough to win. But of course, the dads paid their kids' entry fees. Uh, so John, I'll ask you to play the gambling morality police. Playing in a $10 fantasy football league with minors, acceptable or not acceptable in your view? Yeah, this is where I remind you of a tell from episode, I don't know, 150 something or 100 something or whatever. But yeah, the 1970s was a golden era of gambling. Uh, trust me, with Jimmy the Greek offering <laughs> betting options on CBS pregame shows and before former Gamble on guests beat Rose's betting scandal, I should add. So we had 17 entrants in a season long betting pool. We picked every single NFL game against the point spread. So even more degenerate than your idea, I think. Uh, it was like <laughs> six or seven adults and 10 or 11 kids. And it was $3 a piece, and no parents did not pay for entries, by the way. Okay. And winner take all. And I took home the 51 bucks at season's end. So now here I am nearly a half century later, co-hosting a gambling-focused podcast. So if you and your pal see this as an ideal landing spot uh, long after you're gone for your kids, uh, then root for them. Or maybe work hard to beat them and help veer them toward a more sensible professional life. <laughs> There you go. That's a that's a good uh, attitude toward it. Now, one thing that I'm pushing for, which we haven't finalized yet, Mm. is that prizes come in the form of gift cards rather than cash. Um, I don't know if that makes any big difference, but I feel like especially if if the kids win, giving them cash feels a little uh, off. But uh, and at least one kid is guaranteed to win something, because in addition to first and second place overall prizes, there's a prize for first place among the kids. Um, But uh, mostly it'll be fun. Uh, Inner family matchups will pop up every week. Uh, In week one, we have my son against my brother in an uncle nephew matchup. Uh, There are two father daughter showdowns. Uh, My friends and I have talked about side bets for bigger money when us dads go head to head against each other. Uh, But again, John, my promise to you, I promise never to tell you who's on my roster. Uh, Remember, fantasy players in all sports, you are the only person who cares who's on your fantasy team. And even if someone asks you who's on your fantasy team, answer quickly because they were probably just being polite. They don't actually want to know. Yeah, there's a decades old baseball philosophy, fantasy baseball, which is true that uh, regardless of the size of the stakes, anybody who participates in a pool who is uh, a spouse of someone else should give all of the money 
to the other person just for even if they think, well, I don't mention it that often. Well, once is too much. So, uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah, like so if you say, oh, by the way, I won four dollars. Here it is. Then they're like, oh, this is kind of cool. Like, you know, that was actually worth it. Like it was only like three or four times I heard something I didn't pay attention to and I can go shopping, whatever, you know, that can work. But uh, that, that one uh, transcends all sports and fantasy and everything else is, uh, you know, look, you uh, you put up with me in general and you put up with me in particular with this. So here you go. Whatever I win, it's yours. Right. Yeah. And I guess especially with this league, my wife is going to hear a lot of it coming <laughs> yeah. from both me yeah. and my son yeah. every oh, week. So, yeah, yeah. If, if, if I win, my wife gets the money. If my son yeah. wins, I suspect my wife does not get the money. <laughs> <laughs> well, that would be good, though. Good right. teachable moment for your son. if you wish. There you go. All right. Thank you to everyone out there for joining us for episode number 208 of Gamble On. If you missed any of our previous 207 episodes, they're all available on Spreaker, Apple Podcasts, Spotify and all other podcasts podcast apps. And if you're under 21 and listening to this podcast, please get your parents' permission to listen. Uh, then, of course, subscribe, rate, and review. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, coming up a little later in the show, I'm going to be joined by Executive Vice President of Race and Sportsbook Operations at Superbook Sports. That's Jay Cornegay. I will ask Jay what's different in this year's Super Contest, whether the Superbook is still rooting against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, <laughs> and what Jay thinks of the short odds of the Buffalo Bills to win it all. But first, it's been a very short but very busy week in the world of gambling. So let's get to it. Here's your Gamble On News of the Week, an inside look at the biggest stories in the world of gambling. We start the news segment with an annual tradition unlike any other. The American Gaming Association's release of its <laughs> NFL season betting projections. Uh, as you might expect, with more states legalizing sports betting each year, the upward trend of these numbers continues. And the headline is that a record 46.6 million American adults, 18% of the adult population, plan to bet on this NFL season. That number is up 3% over the previous year's projection. The number of people planning to place a bet online this year is up, and so is the number of people planning to place a bet at a retail sports book, while the percentage of bettors who say they will use a bookie keeps dropping, uh, down now to just 13%. 89% of active bettors say it is either very important or somewhat important that they use regulated sports books, and an almost identical number, 90%, said they recall either seeing or hearing some information about responsible gaming in the past year. And doubling back to the topic of unlicensed bookmakers, in states without legal sports betting, use of these bookies is 50% higher. Uh, John, what numbers from this year's press release stand out to you? And might the bookie be approaching endangered species status in the next few years? I mean, for me, this, Paul, tells me really uh, effectively that responders realize more and more every year that the correct claim is to make a, oh, I only bet legally uh, stance. So that's uh, <laughs> not that they don't bet legally, but they know more and more each year that they have to say so okay. or they think they have to say so. You know, the simple fact that many hardcore gamblers would never leave their corner bookie like we had in my old neighborhood, you know, for two reasons. One is you can bet on credit. And by that, I mean, you don't even need a credit card. The bookie knows where you live, literally. So the other is that when a, that 10-team parlay finally comes in, finally, after many years, and the profit is thousands of dollars, uh, yeah, nobody's letting the IRS tax man know. I mean, I, I would say bookies are about as endangered as phony online betting touts, which is to say, not so much. <laughs> okay. 
Um, yeah, I mean, I, I was careful, though, to at least to uh, ask endangered species rather than extinct. No, no question. They aren't going extinct. But eh, endangered species, maybe, maybe not too soon, but at least once the uh, older crowd that uh, that only uses bookies starts to uh, age out of life, uh, may, maybe fair. then the bookies fade away. But that's still a little ways off. But that's fair. yeah. I find some of these numbers uh, extremely encouraging in terms of responsible gambling awareness, people preferring, or as you said, maybe saying they prefer (laughs) regulated books. The message is getting through. Um, You know, people are welcome to continue to prefer offshores if they find better odds there, if they aren't getting limited there, et cetera, or to use bookies who let them bet on credit. But there are bigger risks involved there. So I'm glad the messaging is getting through to most people that, you know, hey, use these regulated sports books. It is safer. They're at least giving some consideration to responsible gaming as they try to take your money. And by the way, if you lose some of their profits off of you, go back to your state in taxes for whatever that might be worth to a to a given person. Um, as for the gradually increasing numbers of people who plan to bet on the NFL each year, zero surprises there. That's exactly the pace at which you'd expect it to keep growing, particularly with several more states having legal betting now that didn't a year ago. Um, I guess that's pretty boring analysis by me, but uh, what can I say? I'd expect it to keep increasing by a few million people every year for the next several years. Yeah, I was talking to a a 20-something bartender yesterday who I, of course, Mm -hmm. met in the grocery store. Well, anyway, (laughs) whatever. I was talking to a bartender, and uh, yeah, he, he said that he and his buddies aren't even as into the NBA anymore as much as they are the NFL. He said that the whole, you know, uh, LeBron James switching teams and super Mm -hmm. teams and like, they didn't really like that. They liked the NFL with, you know, anybody can win anytime. Yeah. Which I, you know, sample size of one sample size alert, but uh, (laughs) I was surprised because to me, in my mind, everybody under 30 loves the NBA, but but, uh, um, you know, he didn't feel that way. And again, that super team thing kind of, uh, left him and his friends a bit cold. They love the NFL. Like, we don't know who's going to win, you know? I mean, and it's more than three teams can win. Great. So. Right. Yeah, I think, I think that's valid analysis. I think, well, one thing that I've kind of heard anecdotally about NBA fandom and the way that it shifted is mm-hmm. that the younger generation, a lot of them don't necessarily have favorite teams. They have yeah. favorite players. So right. when LeBron James does hop around from Cleveland to the Lakers or whatever. They just become a Lakers fan as long as that's where LeBron is. Or so, so I guess there's that that has shifted, but certainly, yeah, the, the NFL, it is more wide open. Not quite any team can win. There are probably 10 <laughs> teams we can already cross off as having no hope of winning the Super Bowl this year. But in general, it is it is more wide open and there is no question. It is uh, the national pastime, uh, the national sport by by many miles these days. For our second story, we have some big New York numbers to discuss. Uh, First, the state reached the $10 billion mark in total betting handle toward the end of August, getting there in under eight months. Uh, New York already has the fifth highest total handle of any state post-PASPA, trailing only New Jersey, Nevada, Pennsylvania, and Illinois. And it has a shot at catching the latter two by the end of this football season. Uh, In fact, our colleague Chris Altruda crunched some numbers about what to expect with New York handle this football season and landed on a figure of $1.1 billion just in the months of September and October and strictly on NFL, no other sports and not including parlays. And that was Chris's conservative number. It could, in fact, climb a fair bit higher than that. Uh, John, what do you think of Chris's calculations and of New York's meteoric rise to $10 billion? And do you have any bold predictions for wagering during NFL season? Like 
might we see a $2 billion handle month in New York this fall? Well, I just want to credit New Jersey's pioneering efforts on sports betting from 2018 to 2021 that left neighboring New York with an amazing level of pent up demand. It has actually exploded quicker than I thought it would. I can't picture a projection for New York at this point that would make me shake my head. I mean, right. no number, you know, and legal sports betting supporters, by the way, in the state houses in California, Florida and Texas have to be gritting their teeth when they see these numbers. Oh, yeah. They're even bigger. You know, each state has a spigot of massive tax revenue, but these guys can't get the damn pipes to work. So nothing pours out <laughs> yet, but it will eventually. So sure, I'll tout a $2 billion handle on NFL betting in New York. Uh, I might need the postseason to close the deal, maybe. Hmm. Okay, so I'll, I'll, I'll go the uh, uh, slight fraction of an inch uh, more bold than you by mm-hmm. saying that I, I absolutely think New York will hit $2 billion in, to- in total handle one month this fall and mm-hmm. won't have to wait for the postseason. I think it's going to happen in, in October, which has five weekends. Um, so because yeah. I was looking at the state got over $1.68 billion in January after launching eight days into the month. So that was really in like 23 days or whatever it was. Now, granted, that was boosted by sign-up bonuses and and the big initial bets that go along with those. But still, if New Jersey had a $1.35 billion month last football season, I think New York can certainly have a $2 billion month. Um, And I definitely think Chris was being intentionally conservative with his NFL number. I think $1.1 billion over these next two months for football is absolutely the low end. Although, because New York doesn't report by sport, we'll probably never know for sure what the number turns out to be. Um, You brought up New Jersey. I have to say, I'm a little curious to see where New Jersey handle comes in these next few months. Mm -hmm. Like the launch of New York hasn't had a huge impact on New Jersey's handle yet. But I do wonder if it might impact it just enough that the New Jersey record of almost $1.35 billion in a month set in January won't quite be surpassed this year. You know, the, the New Jersey market is approaching maturity. Some of the dollars that used to flow in from New York are now staying in New York. Mm-hmm. I'll be curious to see the year-over-year comps in New Jersey each month this football season. Yeah, New Jersey loves to punch above its weight, and uh, they do in almost every fashion, sometimes literally but uh, <laughs> uh yeah it's it's the new york is the it's the big apple for a reason i mean i gotta uh, kind of tip my cap to them and uh yeah they they could uh, impact the jersey they didn't do it right away but they might do it uh, this football season yeah all right our third story this week gives us still more data to consider uh but these numbers aren't coming from the aga they aren't coming from the new york gaming commission and they aren't coming from chris altruda they're coming from twitter Uh, Twitter released internal data this week about the correlation between the social media site and sports betting. And this Twitter insider study revealed that seven out of every 10 sports bettors are on Twitter. 62% of bettors on Twitter place at least one wager a week. Bettors who use Twitter spend 15% more on bets annually than bettors on other social media platforms. 72% of bettors check Twitter to follow the status of their bets once the sweat begins. And 65% said they are more motivated to place a bet on a big event that everyone is talking about on social media. And there's a lot of growth in the space, as Mike Dupree, director of media and entertainment for Twitter, told ESPN.com's David Purdom, quote, we have already seen more people tweet about sports betting this year than we did in all of 2021, and the NFL season hasn't even kicked off. Uh, John, there's no doubt about it. If you're serious about sports betting or fantasy sports, and you're seeking the most up-to-date information you can take advantage of, you pretty much have to be on Twitter. And same goes for bookmakers. It's hard to imagine them doing their job without Twitter. Did any information in this Twitter study surprise you? 
And how frequently, if ever, do you see information on Twitter and spring into action to place a bet off it? Yeah, well, I, I don't make a lot of wagers in real life, which considering our gamble on bankroll is obviously a good thing. <laughs> uh, but that said, yeah, I agree. Not only every gambler and every daily fantasy sports uh, player has to be on Twitter. You know, it's the old line of, you know, uh, some people aren't aware of it, but it's about you look around the poker table and you can't find the uh, sucker. Right. Uh, the sucker is you because there's always a sucker at every table. Um, that one. And that's what it is here. If you're not on Twitter and you're wondering why you come in ninth or 10th place every year in your fantasy football league, you know, that's kind of why. I mean, you can follow fewer than a dozen accounts in each case and get nearly all the crucial information you need if you really fine tune it. You know, we had on a medical professional a few years ago about right. tweets about NFL injuries, right? You also want a weather guy and, you know, fast moving tweeters on your favorite team and so forth. Um, and I frown whenever I hear someone say that Twitter sucks. Look, every Twitter account holder is the producer and director of their own film. In effect, if your Twitter feed sucks, that's your own fault. Be smarter about who you follow. There you go. So I definitely have a few Twitter accounts that I follow, including some of our colleagues at Roto Grinders, Scores and Odds, et cetera, who, when they single out a bet or a line as appearing to have value, you know, I don't bet it blindly, uh, but I will take a second and look into Mm -hmm. it. And and often I'll end up making a quick little bet based on uh, what they tweeted. Uh, There's one account that specifically points out uh, whenever he calculates there to be value on an odds boost. And, um, you know, if Mm -hmm. he says this is 3% of value, I'll often ignore it. But if he says this one is 20% plus EV, I'm usually logging right onto one of my books to place that bet. Um, But it all depends how serious you are about sports betting. If you're very casual and don't care too much whether you finish ahead or behind, you just like having some bets down as you watch the games, then maybe you don't need to be on Twitter. But I don't see how you can be serious about sports betting and especially DFS where the last second just before lineup mm. lock injury news coming on Twitter is critical. I don't see how you can be serious and not have a Twitter account. Um, and definitely a bookmaker can't live without it. Uh, you know, we'll be talking with Jay Cornegay about this uh, shortly, but a bookmaker can't afford to have less information than the betting public. All that said, it's very good for one's mental health to spend as little time on Twitter as possible, just mm-hmm. as much as you need to. Uh, and, and for the love of God, never click the trending topics. Uh, the, the less you see of the public discourse on those, the better off you are. Yeah, I'm not even sure if I get that, but that might be a product of my being very selective in how I handle Twitter. <laughs> yeah, if you've set it up that you don't even see what topics are tw- trending, then uh, you're know, doing yeah. something right, I think, John. <laughs> Thanks. It's time to welcome a special guest from the world of gambling. Let's get to the Gamble On interview. The return of NFL football this week means the return of America's most popular sport and not coincidentally, America's most popular betting sport and of the Super Contest, the Westgate Superbook's long-running handicapping contest. So who better to have on our podcast as the NFL season begins than the Executive Vice President of Race and Sportsbook Operations at Superbook Sports, and now the name attached to U.S. Bets' recurring Ask a Bookmaker column as well, Jay Cornegay. Jay, it's been far too long. Welcome once again to Gamble On. Uh, Good to see you guys, Eric, John. Thank you. So I mentioned the Super Contest. Let's start with a question about that. Uh, Westgate has been doing it since the late 80s. And in recent years, other sports books have run similar pools, but the Super Contest remains the gold standard. Entries close on Saturday, I believe. What can you tell us at this point about how big this year's contest is going to be? And 
overall, have the players gotten sharper over the years? In other words, is the average person's winning percentage any better now than it was, say, a decade or two ago? Well, let's look back at the Super Contest. Super Contest started back in 1988. Uh, mm-hmm. It's been, been around for a long time. It's always had the same format. For those that don't know, you pick five games against the spread uh, on the NFL um, schedule. Each and every week for 18 weeks, you get a point for a winner, a half point for a push, and whoever accumulates the you know the most points is declared the champion. Um, and recently, because of the competition out there, you know we had to change a, a little bit and and just talking to a lot of contestants and a lot of our uh, patrons, uh, you know, not only in Nevada but in other jurisdictions about what they liked, you know, and what they didn't like. Um, you know, some of these guys were uh, you know start off poorly and they they you know get out to a poor start and then they're pretty much out of it you know halfway through october so we came up with more in-season prizes and this year is no different as this year we have 11 in-season prizes along with the overall champion so uh in those uh in-season prizes we have two nine-week um contests we have uh three six-week contests and six three-week contests i know it's like okay you got that right <laughs> the 18-week uh, season at least divides up nicely i guess <laughs> yeah it does it, it worked out for us but you know this you know the winners they get a hundred thousand for the nine week and we pay the top four pay the top three for the six week and they get seventy five thousand for a winner there fifty thousand for a three-week run so if you have a hot three weeks and we pay the top three you know you can get in there and, and so we we changed it over the years uh and added more of those in-season uh contests and we, we kind of uh got away from that big big gigantic prize that we've doled out for the last you know 20 something years and i think we paid over 33 million uh in prize money over those years um so that's where it's headed right now but i i think we'll i'll share a little bit with you that we we have some exciting news that I, I'm just going to tease you guys. Let's put it that okay. way. I can't right. disclose it, but we'll have some exciting news uh, about the super contest here uh, um, in the near future. Uh, but as far as your question about the, the pros and the Joes there, you know, we had a good mixture. I, I think if you look over and we did, we looked at some of the top handicappers and they're very consistently good. They might not be in the top 10. They might not be in the top 30, but if you look year in year out, they have a winning record. They're very, very solid, uh, but anybody can win it. You got you know, a lot of average Joes up there that have been the champions, especially in recent years. But uh, those uh, guys that we call educated or sharp players do very consistently well over, over time. All right. So is there any comparison then, Jay, would you say about the World Series of Poker? Obviously, a fellow named Chris Moneymaker won, won it all as an amateur, basically, uh, many years ago. A great book called The Moneymaker Effect by Eric Raskin. Uh, and there, and uh, so is there any comparison in terms of the chances of a, of a Joe you know, winning uh, this super contest compared to winning World Series of Poker? Uh, is there one of those more difficult than others or are they both long shots, but they both are possible, I guess? They're, they're longer shots, but they're, it's certainly possible. Um, I, you know, I still think it's a game of skill here. You know, everybody needs a little bit of luck, even if you're playing poker. We all know that, too. Uh, you know, when they're turning over those cars, you never know exactly what's going on. But uh, the Super Contest is certainly a game of skill, um, you know, even though your, your average Joes can have a, a little bit of run or uh, with this many contestants that we have in this thing, 
certainly a, an average Joe could win it just like the World Series of Poker. All right, so let, let's talk about some of the specific teams that uh, that people are and aren't betting on uh, this season. Now, I know you were outspoken about those uh, Buccaneers bets that came in just before <laughs> Tom Brady announced his retirement. But of course, as everyone said at the time, the Bucks still need to win for it to actually cost the book money. And I think Tampa has not had the most encouraging preseason. So um, what are your potential liabilities heading into the season? Are are you still rooting against the Bucs uh, for the sake of the book here? Yeah, just to clarify, Eric, now that you brought that up, uh-huh. <laughs> I never said I wanted to void the tickets or I was crying foul. And it wasn't. I just said somebody knew something, you know, and mm-hmm. I think it was pretty obvious, you know, where, where <laughs> you get all these bets on the Buccaneers and many different jurisdictions. I'm not just talking about Nevada. We had it throughout, you know, uh, you know, our landscape. And, um, you know, three days later, he's announcing that he's coming back. So, yeah, somebody knew some information. And this isn't new with uh, Tom Brady when we we had propositions of where he was going to sign, you know, before he signed with Tampa. Same exact thing happened about three weeks before or excuse me, three days before he announced it. There was a, a flush of money that came in on Tampa Bay and we all looked at each other and go, well, he's signing with Tampa Bay. Fair enough. Three days later. Yeah, he signed. So again, that's part of the business. We understand that. We know that most of the people out there that are sharp, if not all of them that are very sharp, base, you know, their wagers on information, whether they look it up or they research or whatever. And that's just fine. So uh, but to, to, to finish your uh your inquiry about the Buccaneers. Yeah, we're rooting against the Buccaneers. <laughs> we don't want the Buccaneers. Uh, there's a couple of them are, that are really fan favorites. You know, Buccaneers, there's obvious uh, uh, liability there as we took a lot of money on them. You know, it could be at 60 to 1, all the way down to 25 to 1. And I think we've got the Buccaneers now at 7 to 1. So mm-hmm. you can see how far that dropped uh, and took a, a few big wagers on uh, the Buccaneers prior to uh, Brady's announcement. Uh, I mean, the ticket leader by far is are are the the bills. The bills okay. at six to one. We haven't budged off that. Um, you know, it, it might have uh, fluctuated just a bit, but it's really been hovering around six to one for most of the summer. And they are by far the the uh, leader in ticket count. We have some liability attached to them. Um, but the story uh, this year, uh, especially in Nevada, has been the maiden. Uh, even in some other jurisdictions, the Raiders are right up there with the the Bills, the Bucks, the Chiefs, as far as ticket count, and uh, it's um it's amazing uh, how many people are are uh, supporting the the Raiders go- heading into this year. Hmm. I'll, so I'll, I'll ask a, a very uh, self-centered or self-serving type of question because I'm an Eagles fan <laughs> and they've been getting a lot of general buzz that going from kind of a long shot to now a team people are taking very seriously. How much action have you been seeing on them? Are, are they is that just because I'm in the Philly area? I'm hearing a lot of that. And maybe the Pennsylvania, New Jersey sports books are, are getting hit on the Eagles a bit. Or is that a national thing that you're you're sensing some Eagles buzz? You're right. Uh, The Eagles have been getting a lot of support uh, across the country. You know, there's a lot of positive things, you know, around Hertz and, you know, the receiving core. Not a lot of talk about the the running backs. Their offensive line is going to be one of the best, if not the best in the NFL. So a lot of positive things. They, they, you know, play in that division, which they have a lot of opportunity there. We usually know what the Cowboys do. 
But, you know, when you have the uh, commanders and the giants in that division, that's certainly a, a blessing to all the others. Uh, we, we opened the Eagles at 40 to one. They got as high as 50 and now they're down to 25. Uh, despite all that, you know, their ticket count is really high, but uh, the amount bet on them is fairly low. So we do not have a lot of liability. Actually, we don't have any liability on the Eagles at this time that, you know, and I looked at all jurisdictions, we look okay. So yeah, I can be an Eagles fan this year. Okay. <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm stuck on the Buffalo bills. Love it. It's an even shorter number, as you know, in other sports book. And uh, at first I thought, well, it's nostalgia. You know, the bills went to four straight Super Bowls and lost them all. Then I realized if you're under 40, you don't even remember that. So, you know, that knocks out a lot of the betting public from that. And they don't have like, a, I don't know, like a Deion Sanders or refrigerator Perry, like some kind of iconic, you know, character that would get the casual player they have a really good team they're a really good quarterback they're a really good coach i don't even mind them being the favorite but this sort of obsession with them uh, then i want to say it's nostalgic because they never won one and people want to see that they like a narrative and all that well the bengals never won one and they just were in the super bowl last year so they want a narrative but nobody likes the bengals this year so is there something about the bills do you think is it is it really um sort of schedule based or results based or is it something emotional like do you have any feel for what's the obsession with the bills I think it's results based, John. Yeah, yeah. I think it's uh, I think, you know, fans, patrons, betters love high scoring teams. Mm. And the Bills certainly fit that category. You know, they have a lot of flash there. Uh, Allen makes tremendous plays. You know, someone told me the other day um, and I thought it was a valid point. Um, he's like, well, what did the Bills do to improve? You know, from last year. Yeah. And it's like uh, I really couldn't think of anything. Uh, outside that, uh, you know, maybe they, you know, they'll, they'll win the division. Maybe they get home field this time. Um, but, uh, you know, they, they have a tremendous offense. I mean, they make, obviously score a lot of points. And I think that's why people are obsessed with teams like that, that win a lot and win at times very big, you know, and, and kind of rub it in with some of these poor teams. And, you know, when they win by 20, you know, 21 points. Uh, yeah. And you do that on a Thursday night or a Sunday night, Monday night football game, yeah. you're going to get a lot of fans. So yeah. I think that's the reason why uh, they, they uh, garner so much support from the general public. And I guess it's interesting. Yeah, I hadn't even thought about this, but when you sort of pose that question of what have they done to improve, I wonder how much of it is just people thinking, well, we saw the leap Josh Allen took from year one to year two and year two to year three. And so maybe now the way they improve is that Josh Allen becomes absolutely out of this world this season. Yeah, I mean, he he continues. Even that uh, he had a short stint in preseason and it's just like, wow, he looks fantastic. You know, and I, I'm a Mountain West guy. I went to Colorado State, you know, and, he, you know, seeing him play at Wyoming, I, I, I'm i still astonished at what he's done in the NFL. I just I never thought he was going to be that accurate because that was his main issue at Wyoming. He missed a lot of open receivers. I go, I mean, he missed them by a lot. <laughs> and all of a sudden, you know, and that's usually something that they can't correct, you know, uh, accuracy. You know, uh, uh, but uh, he has made dramatic uh, improvements with that. And I still just shake my head when I think about what I saw, at, you know, his play in college versus, you know, what we see now. Um, but um, the Bills, well, I, I think, are going to continue any team, just like the Chiefs. The Chiefs, you know, they, they 
garnered a lot of support from the general public too, because they were flashy. They were good. There's mm-hmm. no doubt they were very good, but also I, I think those ticket counts really jumped up because they're a high scoring team on top of that. All right. Well, it's going to be an interesting and exciting football season. I I would imagine Uh, it's always great talking to you, Jay. Uh, I'll note for our listeners, you can find Jay on Twitter at his name at Jay Cornegay, and you can read his thoughts every other week in uh, ask a bookmaker here on us bets. Uh, Jay, thanks so much for coming on gamble on. Thanks guys. Appreciate it. All right. Thanks Jay. Two men. $10,000. Will they run it up or blow it all? It's time to check in on the Gamble On bankroll. We'll be starting season five of the Fast Five in just a few minutes. But first, let's update our betting bankroll. And we're coming into NFL season off a bad week on other forms of football. Uh, John standing as a CFL sharp has fallen into some doubt as he lost $110 on the Stampeders minus 12 and a half. They beat the Elks, but only by eight points. Uh, And we both took losses on college football. I risked $55 on Utah State to cover the 42 and a half point spread against Alabama, and they lost 55 nothing. While John bet $110 on Ohio State to cover the 17 point spread against Notre Dame but the Buckeyes only won by 11. So in total, we lost $275 across these three football games. Fortunately, my boxing bet came through. Andy Ruiz by decision over Luis Ortiz at plus 280 was a winner. Ortiz got knocked down twice in the second round and I was not liking my chances, but he toughed it out, lasted the distance and almost came back to win, but not quite. Ruiz got the close unanimous decision and we won $140. So we lost 135 on the week and we flipped back to the wrong side of minus 3K. We're now down by $3,064. We have $1,305 on hold in futures bets, leaving us with $5,631 available to bet with this week. And you're up first, John. Yeah, so I'm five and three, I believe, in CFL bets. And all eight of my picks have won the game, even though this is the first time I picked a team favored by more than one score. I'm mulling that over. I'm, I'm picking the point spread, but uh, I'm going to try one more time. And if not, then I promise I depart until the gray cup. Okay. I think it's called that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I'll take the rematch 110 to win hundred again, now giving only eight and a half points with our Calgary Stampeders against the same hapless Edmonton Elks who formerly had another name, but you can Google that. The Stampeders took their foot off the gas down a stretch last weekend and still won, but I expect better focus this week. Okay, so well, we so they have to do at least one point better than they did last week yes, uh, to cover this spread. Okay, so I'm going to make an assortment of boxing bets this week. Um, first off, on Friday, there's a three fight showbox show from Bally's in Atlantic City, and showbox fights are usually between competitively matched up and comers, so there's a little more draw potential than in your average fight. And FanDuel is offering attractive prices on draws on each of the three fights. Uh, Janelson Figueroa Boca Chica versus Roman Villa is. 20 to 1. Bernard Angelo Torres versus Frenzy Fortunato Saya is 18 to 1. And the main event of Joseph Adorno versus Hugo Alberto Roldan is 18 to 1. One of these days, one of my $10 draw bets is going to hit. So for $30 total here, let's take three cracks at it. Uh, but the biggest fight of the weekend is a women's fight in London on Saturday. One of the biggest fights in women's boxing history, Battle of Unbeatens to unify the middleweight belts. Two-time Olympic gold medalist Clarissa Shields versus Savannah Marshall, the only boxing opponent ever to beat her. Uh, This was once, uh, it happened uh, about a decade ago in the amateurs. Um, The books have it basically a pick 'em. 
I would favor Shields, except it's in Marshall's home country. I think it's going to go the distance, and it's hard to see Shields getting a close decision there. So I'm reluctant to bet on a winner. Instead, I'll bet on it to last the distance. It's only 10 rounds, and they're only two-minute rounds. Uh, We have to pay a premium, but I shopped around, found it as low as minus 215. I think that's excellent value. Let's bet $129 to win 60 that Shields versus Marshall goes all 10 rounds. Yeah, I thought for a moment you were going to say, I'm reluctant to bet on women punching each other in the face, but then you went a different route so uh okay. listen they they have they have every right to punch each other in the face if they want to <laughs> yeah i suppose so um i have a right not to watch it yeah that's true. so meanwhile i figured in case you didn't bet it then i guess you won't then i should and that's the nfl season opener rams versus bills on thursday night football i did some research and i'd like the under 52 points at 110 to win 100 on DraftKings. um i don't see a blowout and there may be a little rust so i'm hoping to quickly learn more than i ever need to know about each punter Really, really quickly in this map. <laughs> well, I'm sort of rooting against you because uh, I have some <laughs> offensive fantasy players in this game, but I won't tell you who they are. That's all I'll <laughs> say <you>. about it. <laughs> um, so uh, I'm going to try something uh, that I don't think we've ever done before. You just placed an NFL week one bet. I'm going to place an NFL week two bet a week early. Uh-huh. Um, in week two, the Saints are hosting the Bucks. And we all know about how much Brady's Bucks have struggled against New Orleans. This team has kind of had their number. And Right now, DraftKings has the Saints plus 160 on the money line next week at home. If the Bucks look shaky in week one against the Cowboys, which they may, uh, or the Saints look great in week one against the Falcons, which I expect they probably will, this number will almost certainly come down a little. So I'm going to bet it now, a week early, $80 to win 128 that the Saints will beat Tampa at home in week two. Mm-hmm. And we finish the show with the Fast Five, our head-to-head version of the Super Contest that we discussed earlier with Jay Cornegay. Uh, John and I each make five NFL picks against the spread each week and see who finishes the season with a better record. And John is going for the four-peat this year. Uh, I won the first season in 2018, but John, you got the better of me in 2019, 2020, and 2021. Although in fairness, a toddler throwing darts at an odds board could have done better than me in 2021. Uh, But the slate is wiped clean. It's a new season. And last year I picked first in week 18. So to kick off the 2022 Fast Five, John, you're up first with your five picks. Well, full disclosure, this is the first time I've ever been nervous to make picks. I mean, Mm. I think I've been under 500, maybe like three weeks out of more than 70 or so in the last four years. And, um, you know, I'm usually being disappointed with late fades or the edge of even at the end, but at least I'm ahead of the game and I just fade a little bit, except for that fluky 2019 season of something like 59% or whatever yeah, ridiculous number there, it was. Yeah. Uh, so I'm not sure I've had a chance to do enough homework, but here it goes. No stopping now. Uh, Jets plus seven versus Ravens. Uh, interesting dynamic of ex-Ravens quarterback Joe Flacco starting against the team. He got it to Super Bowl title. It's not a long time ago, but uh, the quarterback he beat was Colin Kaepernick. I mean, so that's, uh, mm. that's a couple of years ago. Yeah. Um, the Jets had the most players in the NFL that they cut at the deadline and other teams picked up. There were seven of those. Well, they didn't claim anyone else's players. So either they have the most depth in the league or they're clueless on personnel decisions and other teams couldn't believe they were letting go uh, you know, worthwhile players. So if this game goes south on the Jets, I may jump on the outbound Jets flight in the future. Uh, next is the Texans plus seven versus the Colts. Again, underdogs uh, in the in week one, I'm kind of tempted by. I'm not quite buying the Colts as being able to walk in on week one and cover a touchdown spread on the road against anybody. And as for the Texans, you kind of can't kill them because they're already dead. 
Um, I expected to get like eight and a half here. So I hope I don't get burned with the mere seven and get a early tie. Uh, Patriots plus three and a half first dolphins. You know, I love the hook here. Don't love the hype for the fins. I don't get it. Uh, could easily be the most boring game of the week one. So enjoy the points. Uh, then there's Titans minus five and a half though versus Giants. This should be seven and a half, eight, and I still would have been tempted. The Giants might have a good head coach, maybe, but they definitely have a terrible roster, and they have way too many injuries in the preseason. Uh, blowout special there. And finally, the Buccaneers minus two and a half at the Cowboys. Lots of pomp and circumstance ahead on Sunday Night Football, but the Cowboys reliably wilt on the big stage, and they have for decades. All right, so uh, for these games uh, that you picked, I did not pick, but we do have one head-to-head Ooh. here. Uh, so I'll get to that uh, shortly. But first, uh, here we go. No- nowhere to go but up after last season, right? Uh, <laughs> I will uh, start with tonight's game, uh, the defending Super Bowl champs getting disrespected at home as two-and-a-half-point underdogs. Uh, we talked about the Bills with Jay. They're a top team, certainly, but this line appears to overrate them. I have to take the Rams at home getting points. Now, here's our head-to-head. There aren't a lot of games I view this week as all-out mismatches, but the closest I can find is I think the Ravens against Joe Flacco and the Jets is a mismatch in favor of Baltimore. Even on the road, minus seven for Baltimore doesn't seem like a high enough line to me. I wouldn't be surprised if the Ravens win this one by 20. So uh, give me Baltimore here. Another road favorite. Uh, This one I feel a little less confident in. But you could probably see this one coming based on my early week two bet uh, on the Saints over the Bucks. I like the Saints giving five and a half points in Atlanta. The Falcons mm. figure to be in the running this season for fewest wins. And the Saints, especially with Kamara not suspended, they're a strong team on both sides of the ball. I'll never totally trust Jameis Winston, but I trust him enough to cover this line this week. Mm. Next up, I'll take the Steelers getting six and a half in Cincinnati. This isn't a bet against the Bengals at all. I I expect them to be a contender this year, but those AFC North division games tend to be close. I don't think Mitchell Trubisky is a downgrade from what was left of Ben Roethlisberger last year. I believe in Mike Tomlin and the Pittsburgh infrastructure. I think they will be a perfectly average NFL team this year and folks are underrating them a little. I expect this to be a close game. And lastly, uh, there are a lot of home dogs out there this week. Um, I started by picking one with the Rams. I'm finishing with another, the Vikings, one and a half point underdogs at home against the Packers. Mm. I understand this line. You know, Green Bay is a, is a public team. Aaron Rodgers is a big name quarterback. So I'm not surprised that Green Bay is favored by a bit on the road. But I think from top to bottom, these two teams are about even this season. I expect a close race for the NFC North title. And I will take the points on the Vikings at home in their opener. I mean, mm. when has Kirk Cousins ever let anyone down? <laughs> Don't answer that. All right. And that'll do it for this episode of Gamble On. Thanks, everybody out there for listening. And thanks again to our guest, Jay Cornegay. You can find me on Twitter at Eric Raskin and John at Bergen Brennan and follow US Bets at US underscore bets. Go to usbets.com for all the latest news and analysis from the world of gambling and subscribe to this podcast on Spreaker, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or anywhere else. And with that, John, please take us out. Yeah, Eric, uh, my name is John, and I have never played fantasy football. I know that <laughs> might shock a few people, but uh, now don't get me wrong. In 1984, my first rotisserie league baseball team, my friends actually banned me from speaking about uh, my roster. Uh, so uh, just because I haven't played fantasy football doesn't mean I haven't bored the hell out of loved ones. Uh, I'm not a <laughs> immune to that. But uh, uh, one thing I'll also add is that I, I've always been annoyed by people who say, oh, that sucks. I haven't even seen that movie or read that book, but it sucks. Well, if you didn't read it or, or 
you know, watch it. You don't know anything about it. I don't have any negative comment about fantasy football. A lot of people love it. The only observation I might have for people to think about this year is, uh, you know, depending on how many teams you have, are you loving having that many teams? And think about it through the season. And if at the end of the year, maybe, you know, 10 teams, maybe that's a little bit much. Maybe I only need three or whatever. Um, but again, that's up to the person. And if somebody says, you know what, I thought about it. 10 wasn't enough. I'm doing 15 next year. Do 15 next year. You do you. Uh, so I really want to wish everybody sincerely uh, great luck in the fantasy football season. And yeah, don't tell me about your roster, though. <laughs> and with that, until next time, gamble on.